Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Notes from the Aleph, an Aleph's high point from which all things visible and from our vantage point we'll be looking at tabletop role-playing games, their design, theory behind those designs. Around here, our motto is to be fair, build up, and have fun. I'm your host, Griffin Barreau, joined by our editor, Theta, our local designer, Norman Rafferty, and our good friend and GM, Lesson Learned Today. When it comes to tabletop role-playing games, I have 15 years of experience starting, playing, and frequently fixing problematic rules at the table, pronouns are he, him, they, them. Rafferty, why don't you go next? I'll unmute. Yes, hello, I'm Norman Rafferty, he, him. Uh, I work for Sanguine Games, where I've been working on their Iron Claw project since 1999, and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, Lessons. I am Lessons Learn, Lessons One on Twitch, Lessons One here, a streamer, a writer, um, and author of Night and Stars over at Amazon.com, and also run a, game, a, a weekly game for Ractus Channel uh, with 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons uh, into the Wild Coast, which is a Greyhawk uh, themed game. So, yeah. And of course, I often commentator because I can't keep my mouth shut. All right. And so for this episode's topic, Rafferty, why don't you lead us off? So, one of the. Um... This is as some discourse about certain theories of game design. There's many ways you can go, but the dominant theory that you see in games from the Dungeons and Dragons fork is something called class-based design. And this is the idea that when you play the game, each of you chooses a discrete thing to be, like a fighter or a wizard or druid and these are defined in the rules once you pick that you can just tell other people i'm a fighter and that's determined a lot of your choices class-based gaming is pretty popular because it's easy to describe you see it in video games all the time where they make you after you get a tutorial area choose your class and that sort of thing and it combines a bunch of stuff another theory that immediately started after DD came out uh competing with it with games like pedal throne and runequest was what i'm going to call point-based gaming not exactly the best word for it, but by this, it usually means that uh, sometimes people call this skill-based, where you have a bunch of different little provisions, and when you gain experience in the game, you can choose which arenas are improving and which ones aren't. You can, you get points or perks, or what do they call them in World of Warcraft? Talents? It's been a Talents while. is usually the system that they have. Yeah, right. Whatever those are. you know, And you can go ahead and assign those skill ranks, perks, feats, whatever. You can assign those to whatever you want. I mean, the, uh, the Fallout paradigm would be the perks when you get those. You can assign them whatever you want. Both of these systems can have levels. Because you played Skyrim, you level up, and that gives you perk points. But in a point-based game, you could decide, hey, my shield blocking was terrible. I'm putting more points in shield. Or I want to get past those guards. I'm putting points in step. You can buy anything you want. And most games are usually somewhere in between. So I thought today we would go ahead and talk about the pros and cons of class-based and point-based. and our standard rule of rules and direct behavior once you choose a kind of setup if your game is class-based you will get different behavior out of your players and you'll have a different experience than you would get out of a point-based game and of course you know let's just back to point. i would like to uh okay. maybe uh, suggest a, a, a different version which is class versus blank slate because I think in the extremes, class mm-hmm. assumes that you start with a concept, whatever that may be, the game gives you, where the blank slate is, you could technically be anything as long as you put your points into it. So there's well, no the, clear idea. The reason That's why, my why well, I like that, but but that, that would be if you were a pure base point-based game, which is rare. Games like GURPS or the Hero System were pure points. But I like the idea of class versus points because there's a sliding spectrum here. Like if you were playing old school D&D, when you were a fighter and you got from level one to level two, your stats went up and we were done. Mm-hmm. Nothing special happened. You yeah. Once you chose your class, that your entire future of your character was out of your hands. It was just, you make no more choices. Yeah, of course, like even as early as like second edition AD and D, as a thief, you're choosing where you're putting points in to be better at different thieving options. And when right. three point five rolls around, you're putting individual skill points into different things so that two right. fighters can end up being different people. Right. So three three point five turns it into point based. And also, like I said, like um like if you play a game like Dark Souls or Fallout, you don't start with a blank slate. And that game they give you a sample, they give you a character. And they ask you a couple questions about it, but you already start with several default abilities in the game. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, someone's in the in chat is asking, isn't Hackmaster both? A lot, most modern games are somewhere in between. Like Dungeons and Dragons is mostly class-based, but you get to pick from a certain smaller list, which I want to get into about class-based stuff. It's like uh, they, uh, you know, when yeah. you, you get to pick a couple proficiencies, you get to pick your own background that can be whatever you want. Um, you know, and some of these will be rated in numbers and some of these aren't. God forbid you play a martial fighter in D5. Um, so you know, I'd like to, like, maybe throw out a pro to just, like, start it off. How does that sound? Okay. Uh, 
so I think like one of the good pros of like a class system is definitely that you can very directly tell players, here is what you should be. They don't really have to guess about like where they fit in place in the world. Their class tells them, well, you have this ability, this ability, and this ability. This is where you fit in. And that's oh, what you get. It is very clear. It's very direct. And you don't have to tell anyone anything. I mean, definitely that's where, because this behavior, most games... Like Dungeons and Dragons dominates the field, and D and D one and D and D two were class based with very few choices you made for your character. I mean, maybe you got to pick some spells when you leveled up or something like that, but a lot of it was predetermined. D and D third edition came out, and suddenly you had all these things you could pick. You had access to you know feats that you know, and some classes had super feats. You got to pick your spells. Your stats would increase when you leveled up. You had all of these choices you could make, and that gave rise to something that I hadn't seen before. The concept of the trap build. The trap build only exists in a game where you had choices, but you made the wrong ones, and now your character is inferior to someone who made the right choices. In order to have the concept of, you know, there are bad choices to make, there has to be the idea that you had choices to make in the first place. If you go play, you know, D&D box set, the Mold Bay of the Holmes version, there's no trap builds. You rolled a character, and that's what you got. Yeah, your elf was so always have that fighter, toxic your, argument. Yeah. Yeah. Your fighter, your your dwarves will always be fighter clerics or rogues. Uh, your elves will always be fighter fighter magic users. Humans could be more right. Your hobbits. I mean, your uh, you know. Oh, you could you could even make a trap build because you could choose to be a halfling fighter. They would just cap yeah. your level at six, yeah. which is a trap build if you're playing the game above level six. Right, and even in later editions of Dungeons and Dragons where that doesn't apply anymore, it still is like, oh, well, you chose the inferior option. You're just always going to be a worse fighter than if you weren't a halfling. But I think we, right. we have we have to, I mean, that's the first good point, but I think the way we have to analyze it is sort of the, the, the if there's a curve or if we want the character to be flat. Because ironically, for example, we talk about, it's not simply a matter of class. It's also things like hit points as well, right? Many class systems if they're based on the idea of Dungeons & Dragons, have that this rising, you got more hit points, you're more resilient, but in skill-based or other systems, for example, your life points or whatever are more flat. So you can choose a lot of skills, but you're still as crunchy as you are before. So I think it's not just a matter of like what's easier to, you know, yeah, I think class systems describing to someone new to a game, like, hey, you want to be somebody who hits things hard? Warrior or fighter or whatever. You want to do crazy stuff with magic eventually uh in like fireballs uh wizard that sort of thing but uh, i think from the dm perspective you know it's like well yeah but i gotta i level one i can kill them a goblin can just sneak on somebody kill them i level 10 you know a giant could come in and hit them three times with a club and they go like well okay that was right. fun. Yeah, and and that's the downside of it, the power scaling of it now yeah. all of this is divorced from the concept of levels because a lot of point-based mm -hmm. games like hero or gurps would not have the concept of level Mm -hmm. uh, that that you, you would just say you're you're either 100 points or 250 points or whatever. Whereas class-based gaming usually has the concept of level. I went from discrete level one to discrete level two, dun, 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 uh, mm -hmm. and everything went ahead and increased. And um, that also, once again, we're getting into biases here because, as you know, angry Rafferty is opposed mm -hmm. level matching. Because this is where you get into, like you say, well, something was a challenge for a party of level one would not be a challenge for a party of level 10. Well, so when we're playing the game, is the game a game and enemies in the world are like from Elder Scrolls Oblivion, where they have to match whatever power level the players are at? Because this is a new concept that comes largely from video games. Old school games, you leveled up a character and while your level was an expression of how powerful you were, um, that was uh, you deciding which threats you wanted to take on. The world didn't morph itself. We might say this adventure is for levels four through seven. If you're not level four, you're not going on this adventure today. Or you still could. Maybe you'll live. You know, who cares? Um, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, um, the point-based game has the problem that because it doesn't have, like, the pure point-based game won't have levels. It'll just have points. Yeah, and if yeah. you've ever had the fortune of playing a game like Gerbs or Hero, you'll discover that <laughs> some people are much better at spending their points than other people. And you'll be in that kind of like League of Legends situation where some people are way more optimized at this than you could ever dream. Oh, and yes. it, and it gets difficult. And that's a major reason why the class-based paradigm 
uh, has seceded because everyone's obsessed with the idea that um, instead of letting players do what they want or get better at stuff, we have to constantly keep them at status quo. We have to constantly match that level. Well, I would I would uh, decide. I think that's one of the reasons why many decides are hybrid and one's another is that if you go to the more the ones that are more point based, ironically enough, you have the phenomenon of you know um, you know um, you know you take so many points in everything that you're bad at everything. So ironically, you have characters that start sort of hyper spe- specializing, right? So in a way, they create their own classes, right? No, you don't have no class, but if you really want to be a good you know, fighter with guns, you're going to put all your points on guns and be very, very good at pun- guns. But if somebody puts a, a, a computer in front of you, you go like, uh, you know, like, you know, you, you know, you're like a monkey, you know, banging on the keyboard because you have no idea what to do. Right. So yeah, which is way, we, we've hit yeah. upon the trap build here. And I, I like to actually use yeah. uh, Iron Call as an example. Rafferty, I think your game's great. But you could still maybe build a character wrong. You could still say, I want to put all of my skill points at a jump, and I want my three choices for feats to be local knowledge, local knowledge, and local knowledge. You could make a bad decision still. And I think and I think when you have the a la cards, you have more room to maybe make those bad decisions if those rules are not pushed towards players making something good. Well, but also pointedly, as I keep saying, also I don't believe in level matching. So it's, it's like, true. It, it, they're all, they're only bad choices if they lead to a bad experience. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's uh, if this is a game where at le- where we're saying at this particular level five, we need everyone to have this minimum level of combat ex- mm-hmm. uh, ability. You will have to have this minimum hit points to ride this ride, and players don't have that, then they get destroyed. It would be easy mm-hmm. to say, you know, well, they must have built trap builds and that sort of thing. But uh, I'm asking, why is your experience sculpted this way? Nothing in the advertising of role-playing says, oh, okay, right. this is a strategy game. And if okay. you guys aren't playing the strategy game according to our unwritten strategy guide, I, as the GM, have no choice but to have you have a miserable time today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like that. I mean, I'm saying that, like, you know, it may sound like, that, but that's what happens. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons what that becomes one of those unwritten rules that you just mentioned about class-based levels. Like, we're going to pretend you again. We're going to pretend that you can do everything in a role-playing game, but really you can't because we created classes, right? Or we're no. going to pretend that the, we have a point system and you can build whatever character you want. But really, you know, it's it's what I call the phenomenon of like you have a and, and this is game balance and that's another aspect of you know class leveling and just another need for it. It's like I've seen it, for example, with superhero games where it's like, oh, you have all the powers in the world and you can make a speedster that has super strength stuff like that. And somebody's very good at creating a very powerhouse, and someone else is like, well, I want to be the detective, mm-hmm. and so they're weaklings and something like that. And so, you know, the powerful uh, villains. Are taking the the limelight, fighting this you know Superman type character, and the detectives just sort of punching around mooks, like you know throwing mook around. Well, see, yeah. see, I definitely want to build on that because one of the weaknesses uh, of point based, like like what's the role playing game for? I'm always asking, like, what do we need? Can we just sit around and play make believe? What do we need the stupid book for? <laughs> you know, you you see, there's a lot of streamers who just are winging it. Yeah. Uh, and one of the major answers is the book is supposed to steer you into arenas that are appropriate, so you can make appropriate characters or the genre. Many superhero games are point-based, and they let players build anything they want. And that's not how, like, the best superhero stories are made. Like, the Deadpool movie is different from the Avengers movie, is different from the Doctor Strange movie, is different from the gazillion Spider-Man movies, which are even different from each other. All of those movies have chosen some sort of stance to take, and then funneled it in. And if you're a real big comic book fan, you can see the things that they're, like, removing. Like, when they adapted Thor, they kept some things and deleted others. Thor's an alien now, you know, and part of the Infinity Cubes. The Infinity Cubes are not part of this much longer Starlin story. When people pick up Thor's hammer, they don't become Thor in literal sense. Which they wouldn't... And they deleted Eros. I think we're all mad that they deleted... They kept Thanos... (laughs) <laughs> but they deleted Eros, his brother who has the power of super sack. Not making this up, look it up on the Wikipedias. You know, I read some interpretation of that character, yeah, which are, you know, <laughs> right. making him even worse than his death brother. But that's it. But, but getting closer to this, mm-hmm. one of the strengths of a class based game is it tells you what roles you will play in this game. Like, for example, if you show up at DD and say, I want to play DD, you want to say, Well, I want to play the King of Furyandi. And you would say, no, you can't play the King of Furyandi. That's not one of our class options. 
I mean, the best. So you inevitably, you were put into a box because that's what the class is supposed to be—a convenient box. Which isn't bad because what we're trying to do is channel you into stuff that's appropriate. Like you can't play a gun-toting mercenary in D and D. Cue the people putting in gunslinger artifice. No, I mean like specifically, you can only play this kind of character. You can play an artificer or maybe a pathfinder gunslinger, but you have to be this version of it. I mean, the thing that always drives me nuts is druid, because druid somehow became synonymous with nature worship. That, that that's not historically what druids are. Um, dru- druids are wizards and law interpreters. They became some sort of fantasy nature thing. Or, mm-hmm. I, or my favorite confusion, monk. I can't be the only person who came to D&D and asked uh, why Christian monk was different than cleric and what the difference was between classes before suddenly figuring out, wait, we get kung fu? Yep, because they're just saying, oh, well, you know, we liked all the kung fu movies, so we're putting that in there. You can be a Shaolin monk. Yeah. And does that oh. really fit the theme of Dungeons and Dragons? You know, probably not. Ultimately, but well, put it in there, it, and now that's where you get your and that's where we throw hair. That's where we can throw. Yeah, that's, that's what we can just say. Like people say, D and D's theme is no theme, and I would say, no, you choose classes. You have chosen a theme. Mm-hmm. But let's introduce another aspect here about game design. Like from the game designing perspective, why would a game designer decide to make their game class based and not simply to be easy to sell, but actually just imagine it make it easier to design? Because if you want to, uh, if you take point based, you're thinking options, 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 and you have to make at least most of these options be attractive enough that people will take them. Otherwise, you're writing something that it's just going to be in the page. It's like, well, I'm just filling page because I need 300 more words in this document, so I guess I'm going to read these. Or Now, now see, or- you've got a good point because for many years, I have played like point-based or, you know, cl- point-based games with class elements mm-hmm. um, and, and where players can make whatever they wanted. And I have discovered, the, like I mentioned, their weaknesses to this. First of all, you get the players who don't know or don't have a head for figures. So you came to play make-believe today. I just wanted to be a cobble today. Why are you making me learn calculus? So there'll be some people who just don't know that. Then you'll also get what people assume every point-based game has, the power gamer minimaxer. The person who reads all of those rules, interprets them for maximum effective advantage in the game, and uh, makes a character that most GMs would consider not fun. This character is so capable that I'm in that I cannot put challenges in front of them that make the game interesting to me as the GM. I mean, I've never met a power gamer who said like, "Yeah, you know, like," uh, and then everything went my way and I was mad. <laughs> I've never met a power gamer that said that. Granted, there are some people who can't be pleased, but yeah, usually if you're doing that, you're pretty happy that you solved everything. But the GM sure right. doesn't. <laughs> Right. So um, one of the purposes behind, uh, and, and I, I reinforce this, one of the purposes behind a class, someone was asking in the chat about non-rules. The purpose of the class should be to inform you about the game world. Mm-hmm. Like my poster child for this is always uh, the Warhammer fantasy roleplay, where the classes in the game are jobs that you have in the world, like charcoal burner or vermin hunter. Uh, you know, even if they're a fighting career, it's mercenary. And they write down, yeah, you kill people for money. You know, here's all the stuff you have to do yeah. to do all of that. But if you're, you know, like just a workaday guy, it's like, okay, here are your skills. You're used to pain. You can carry a lot of heavy stuff, all useful for an adventurer. But, you know, you're jobbers. And, and each one of them says, you know, this is what you want to do. And here's your growth. Like if you're a thief now, your goal is to become a master thief later. So they have like the paths written in there, but your jobs are clearly defined. Now flip this around and compare this to D&D where I can show up as a fighter. For the most part, my character is a cipher or a blank slate. It's like, yeah, I like to fight. Uh, th- there's like no big rich tapestry of how I'm in the world. Or if you show up as a wizard, if you show up as a wizard, you like magic. Well, where did you come from? What school of magic come from? Who trained you? Who gave you this spell book that costs hundreds of gold? What, what's your right. providence? What are the what are the organizations of the world that help you? No advice on that. That's that you have to get a second book for that, or God forbid, the GM has to make that up. In other words, you don't right. really know what it is you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, they rely on and it, it's it's limited your expectations that you can only play these things, but then it's not really necessarily helping you understand the world better. Superhero games are a big offender on that because almost every superhero game that people write is just they want a bag of powers and then they assume that you guys are just going to like make X-Men or Avengers or Justice League because Justice League and the Avengers are superhero movie series. But they both have very different tones of what they expect people to be getting away with. 
Uh, right. You want an X Men game? You should you should write an X Men game, not a generic blank slate. Well, whatever powers you wanted game. Right. Be right. more specific. Like, like masks is the one I was going to bring yeah. up. Masks is very much in the Teen Titans or uh, New Mutants mold, and mm-hmm. they give you more to Absolutely. work with because they tell you choose what kind of character you are, and then they also you choose what your role is and what your hangups are and that sort of thing. It sculpts you in the right direction. It's a right, class it genre archetypes rather than trying to like simulate, hey, here's exactly how your laser beam vision works and bounces off of people. It doesn't matter. You're playing an angsty teenager who's going through their angsty teenager stuff. Well, the powers. We're all playing angsty teenagers. In other words, the game exactly. up front, to- one of the big issues I have with, with ragging on power gamers is that, um, uh, you know, the books don't tell them no. The D&D guys don't tell them, okay, here's a book of 80 new primal abilities to buy by the way don't use any of this because if you use any of this you'll make your game master sad because you'll obliterate all their challenges the games don't say that they say buy more of our crap <clears throat> yeah, yeah i mean so, that's kind of the point yeah right so you know like that's a cynical view of it but so a player who looks at a bag of powers and decides to apply them to their character whether it's class-based or point-based I mean, like a lot of times people are talking about the nostalgia of the old ages, they're kind of talking about the nostalgia for the pure class-based age, where the players never got to make any choices at all. They just experienced stuff and leveled up. It was a lot of fun for people, which also kind of begs the question why you don't see that paradigm anymore. And the answer is because people have nostalgia for it, but they don't actually want it. Right. I think my impression of it is that people got bored, particularly the people who maybe were playing more than others and said, well, I only had these three choices, but I'm not really making any choices with them. I really wish I could do more things. So you design to add more things in it and give yourself more choices, but maybe don't really reflect on how that changed. Even in the beginning, you still have, for example, yeah, you had classes, but for example, in the earlier dragons, one of the things that that appears like, oh, hey, you want to make an assassin? Well, let's give you an assassin class. Or you want to be a paladin, right? There was, even in the early stages, especially in the Dance of Ten Dragons, there was a thing like, we want more. We want more magical items, we want more options, etc. So it it started in Dungeons and Dragons very narrowly, especially with like the elf, like I said, you know, fighter mage, that's it. But it quickly ramped up. Well, not so quickly. Eventually, third edition it's when it really ramped up. But even before, you had your your kits in second edition, like the Book of Paladins and the Book of Elves, right? So if you wanted to make a paladin elf, then you have two books that can give you a lot of abilities, including magical dogs and stuff like that, right? There was always that process of breaking away from the very class system that defined Dungeons and Dragons. Well, you'll run into a lot of people, you know, who will say like, "We're playing D anD D." But we're using the, what do they call that now? The hybrid system where you get to mix and match abilities to different classes? Gestalt. Gestalt. I know Gestalt was what they used in 3.5. going with that? Uh, uh, no, yeah. I think they dropped it hard because it was a terrible idea. <laughs> well, so, no, no, they haven't dropped it because they're still running people doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, because everyone homebrews. It's C&D. Do whatever you want. Um, once again, I'm not telling you you can't do anything you want. I'm saying that what you do is going to change what you do. So, um, no, I mean, there are still people who do that, who experiment. Like, I'm, I'm always running it. In fact, even the mere act of people saying, I'm playing a cobbled. It's like cobbleds aren't in the book. You know, they later came out with another third part, you know, a second book that can't, that has it in it. But, you know, I'm constantly running into people who are telling me they're playing some talking Wolverine or something like that, uh, that they just made up. It's good on you that you guys made it up. But, um, I mean, that's, yeah. a, you know, that, that, that's a point-based, you know, that, that's a weird paradigm-breaking choice that you guys made. So Farina in, um, in in chat is saying, isn't power creep an inherent part of giving people more options? In a way, yes. In a way, yes. Uh, well, I have a reply to that, which is deck of many things. <laughs> uh, that's the one that people still know, but there's deck of many things, there's wild magic, and in older D&D, there was psionics. All of these were random entitlements which is that if you approach this hazard, it might kill you instantly, but it might give you bizarre abilities beyond you were not allowed to choose consciously. Like, you might become immortal. You might gain castles. You might get an uh, inherent special ability, like spellcasting or something, that you weren't allowed to pick. But because it randomly happened to you with wild magic, it did. And so when we talk about that, like what, what point-based gaming is doing is it's giving you the choice. It's like in point-based gaming, because this person chose to raise their constitution by 10, be immortal, and have a magic girlfriend, 
and they bought that with points, that's bad because they, you know, picked that to the character design. But then you go over to class-based games, and here's Elminster. You know, it's it's like, how did he get this kind of stuff? I guess random fiat or something that the GM just kind of picked out of their butt and just applied it anyway. So uh, power creep is mostly associated with point-based games, but you could still see it. I mean, it's also like, I, I guess the big paradigm would be like when a DM gets like mad. like, And then the players randomly opened treasure, and inside it was a staff of the Magi. And ah, uh, it was so powerful and unbalanced my game, I had to come up with an excuse to get rid of it. I had to put it in challenge place, every right? single encounter and make every single combat life or death now because my players would happen to win other things. Which is weird because like the Magi might have shown up just randomly. Uh, it's, um, it's a question of how you're approaching the game. Uh, once again, Rafferty against level magic. Um, but I got angry stuff. But um, no, I, I think uh, what what I like. I really want to reinforce though. The scale is sliding. I mean, like a lot of people uh, when they're talking about nostalgia for the old games, you know, like, like no game has no choices. Well, okay, very few games have no choices at all. I don't see anybody playing uh, Marvel superheroes where even your class was randomly assigned. Yeah. People still play Candyland. Um, well, you don't make uh, the, the only choice you get in that is whether you're playing the red or the green. Um, but I don't see anyone playing the pure, and, and modern D and D is strayed far from uh, the path mm-hmm. because it's like originally in D and D you rolled your stats randomly, and then that determined what you could add. You want to play a druid? Not if your wisdom's not fifteen, your intelligence's not fifteen. You're not playing a druid today. Yeah, You know, you might wind up as a fighter because your stats aren't high enough for the other classes. That's something that you never see anymore in d But also, I think, uh, going back to the designer thing, is ironically for me, because I, I, I also did my, my, my figures on game design, and I've been trying different approaches. The first approach I was was more point-based. Like, I want my players to have everything. And I was like, first of all, if they have everything, I cannot even phantom all the different types of names unless I have, like, stacks of Thetharos to make things distinct enough that they're attractive to, right? Because otherwise, okay, you stab someone with a sword. You stab somebody with two swords. You stab someone with five swords. Okay, you, you got to have something that makes the stabbing with the swords more interesting than just the stabbing with the one sword. On the other hand, when I went more class-based, it was much easier for me to define, like I said earlier, and transmit to the players what I wanted to do, right? For example, I decided to make uh, classes that are based on Hollywood action films, especially the sci-fi variety. So you have the, you know, the space, uh, you know, the the doc, the frontier doctor, and you have your uh, your your you know ex cop and your mercenary captain, right? Uh, so that created a sense like yes, these char- uh, these character classes inform the players are supposed to inform the players that you're playing a space sci-fi adventure in the future. Right. I yeah. mean that that's why that's why I'm often singling out weirdos like the monk. Like, if you have a monk in your D&D game, you have to invent an entire Eastern culture that's opposing the Druid and barbarian Western cultures that you already have. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying that by doing this, you've invoked all of this. Mm -hmm. The mere act of having Warlock as an option invokes the idea that there's demons and fairies and star people that offer people powers. Like, Like, suddenly that has to be in your world. And that's like one place where I take out like that's one D and D I think falls down a lot because D and D says it's generic. But as I'm fond of pointing out, D and D is not Lord of the Rings. It's not Harry Potter. It's not Wheel of Time. Because if a player showed up and said, I, "I'm playing a warlock and my friend here is a monk," those wouldn't fit in those settings. Right. You can't show up at the table and say, "I want to play a fallen Maiar who still has his wizard magic." It's like you no, know, that you take a wizard class. <laughs> Yeah, I think well, it puts the GM oh, in, a, in a very good position saying, having to say no. Mm-hmm. And, well, and that always sours things a little bit, even and, even, and, even and, the most accommodated player. Right. And then the I games have crappy. In fact, that's something we can get at with both class and especially point-based games. The games have a terrible way of saying no. Uh, Heroes System famously wanted uh, took a paradigm of that they wanted it, uh, they wanted to include anything. So they started including warning icons they would put magnifying glasses or stop signs on certain abilities like the ability to walk through walls or the ability to transform others into other things and they would put Mm -hmm. little warning symbols on them saying okay you know these are limited you know these are special powers we put them in the game because as designers we want you to have the freedom to do anything you want but on the other hand it's kind of like we also recognize this might not be appropriate Mm -hmm. and i thought that was really nice of them to do that but in practice what actually happens 
is because it has a warning sign on it, many game masters who are here to have fun, you know, will just, yeah, look, at this too, kind of, yeah. Yeah, we'll just look at this kind of stuff and say, this is a warning on it. If it's got a warning label on it, I don't want it in my game because players are bad and not to be trusted. And they will find a way to abuse this. So I'm going to say no to this outright. And so what happens is, is that you wind up getting the, the point-based players um, buy all the safe stuff, and it actually makes the game even more boring and imbalanced because they just buy killing power. Because killing people was fine. Da- you know, damage powers, they didn't have any warnings on them at all. So they just max those out by killing machines, and then all they can do is kill. And, and really, that's where we're getting into a huge problem of any game design, whether it's class-based or point-based, which is the question of what the players can actually do. Right, and the more I'm thinking about it, the more like this uh, dichotomy between class and skill is between having the ability to frame and control what's happening versus allowing people to actually make decisions that matter and have fun with that, because if you're not making any decisions, it's no fun. But if you have no guidance, you make weird things and nothing well, works. Well, here's where I want to make fun of it. That's why everything's always a mix, right? Yeah. Well, there was a recent video that came up that I want to make fun of. And it was talking about point versus class-based games. And they um, said the, the, like one of the problems with a point-based game is that people will specialize. It's, it's like they'll put all of their points in guns or all of their points in stealth. And they won't buy other skills they might need, like diplomacy and wilderness survival. And I just want to pause and say, yeah, but if you're playing a class-based game like D&D, I won't be putting points in diplomacy and wilderness survival because I won't even have the freaking option to do so now, will I? I mean, when I think about myself, I haven't put any points in wilderness survival. I'm an unbalanced character. I have like 20 ranks in computer science and nothing else. Well, you have your phone. <laughs> right, but I mean, like, uh, like literally, like, you know, if, you're, if you play a fighter, like, like this came up because I used to talk about the skill challenges in D&D 4. And, you know, somebody would say, well, I was often playing a fighter. If a skill challenge came up that involved anything using stealth or diplomacy or crafting or anything else, I had nothing to do because Mm -hmm. and forcing me to participate. See, it's weird because skill challenges were supposed to be let's get everyone involved to deal with this non-combat problem in the game. But they ran into the class-based problem of, yes, but because the classes say that fighters obviously can't do anything else other than fight that would break the game, you'd have these Mm -hmm. characters like the fighters of the world who didn't have any of these other abilities and felt called out that like, okay, we're at the, you know, the the meeting with the tree people to discuss politics. They would say, well, I can't participate in this because I'm no good at it. And if you make me participate in this, I'll make everyone else fail. So I want to sit out. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that obviously, you know, is huge. So complaining about point-based people being able to buy everything or specialize kind of sounds neutral when you consider that a class-based game doesn't even let you do it. Yeah, which is which kind of the point I was saying before, that even if over a long enough period, most point-blank uh, systems will just create sort of their own archetypes or classes anyway. So, um, you know. Well, I, I think that gets into a larger problem of um, how are you... Um, testing your characters and, and this is a good example you know a good reason like in a point-based game like or or in like one of these choice games like RuneQuest is an ancient 80s they might have we need to ford this river we have a wilderness challenge like you guys have to cross the mountains and ford the river all of you are going to have to make rolls against your survival skills your climbing skills your use map skills all that to get through this if you didn't buy that skill today is the day that you're going to suffer and those games were just like that they were old school games that were mean uh, modern games would be a little less punching to be a little fail forward. But the idea is you might come out of that thinking, man, I should have spent my points on other things. I should have spent them on use map or survival. And the next time I get points, I will spend them on that. So this doesn't happen to me a second time. Yeah, but and I think it, it also feels unfair because you're the G, the players might say, well, GM, you know we don't have these skills, either because we didn't buy them or they're in a class that doesn't have it why you're putting in situations that we cannot overcome, which and, gets us very close to the idea of an unwinnable situation, which means ultimately our choices don't really matter because we're supposed to, well, we supposed well, to fail. Yeah, yeah, building on that, like, like this is the first place where I get a little angry because it, it's it's like, um, okay, if uh, like, why did we send you on this quest in the first place? It would be kind of like, so your resume here says you're good at fording rivers and climbing mountains. Um, that's all true, right? Because this adventure is going to have a lot of forking rivers and climbing mountains on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that on the one hand, it was like, 
you know, why did you take on this quest if you can't beat? You're you're giving a very gamist answer of, well, the GM should have made a challenge that we can beat. And that gets into what, what starts to drive me nuts in the class-based game. Because people complain about the point-based guys being all specialists and not spending their points diversely. In the class-based games, like you just said, you'll get people who don't even have this. They don't even have diplomacy or stealth. So the adventure is being written in a way that everyone can play, trivialize those abilities by making them unimportant like now yeah because we know you have to ford the river and we know you have to get over the mountains we can't require roles for that or abilities for that because you might not have them therefore those abilities are actually irrelevant it's the no healer in the party problem yeah related to that i, I think it's it's more uh i want to call it the world of warcraft problem because a lot of people uh what's the new one oblivion what's the latest supplement oh i'm not sure what the latest wow expansion is at all well, i know uh, final fantasy just came out with another one well w- Shadowlands. An accusation of the level 80 content in World of Warcraft was, this is all bland. And the reason why it's all bland is because, well, people were complaining that some quests were easier for some classes than others in our previous supplements. So now we're making all of our quests can be beaten by any class. I guess it's Shadowlands, yeah. Can be beaten by any class, um, regardless of their ability. And this has the side effect of they're all the same. I mean, you don't even have to think because you're already doing your pro strats class. So you just, I was hammering them before, I'm hammering them now. Uh, you just do what you always do to get through it. And um, yeah, I'm again, that's once again, my rapid is against things like level matching and that sort of thing. It should be that if, uh, I mean, my approach would be if you want the game to feel like a story or even like a game challenge, it should be here's something you have to circ- you know, vent. What can you do with your ability sets to get over this? Because if my ability set did, doesn't matter, why did you let me pick my ability set? Hmm. And you know, uh, so funny example of uh, missing things out. So I was, I do run the Kingmaker campaign right now for some friends. And of course, it is wilderness exploration. And they spec for that. And good for them. None of them brought lockpicking. So about three modules in, they finally have to pick a lock. And it is... It is basically at tier. It's like DC 35 and they're level 10. Nobody could do it. <laughs> nobody I mean, could do it. And nobody could figure out how to do it because you can't train into that after you've already leveled up or anything. I, so I, they I to, have to find other ways around. And it wasn't great. I want to do a shout out to one of the most clever games I've ever seen that that none of you have ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be a TV show called Leverage. Have any of you ever seen this? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Okay. Not so yet. The you, Leverage uh, Ocean's Eleven, the TV show. In the, sh- in the show Leverage, every person is a character class. They literally call them the hitter, the grifter, the hacker. Uh, you know, Each one of them has a specific role that they do in each one of the capers and a skill set that they're good at. And what the role-playing game did was when the role-playing game made the stats, instead of making the stats strength, intelligence, wisdom, they literally made the stats grifter, hacker, leader, hitter. The stats were named after the different roles people had on the show. So instead of being a class-based game where everyone was in a certain position, you're rated in how good you are at the different classes in the game. And that way, if we ask you to be a grifter when you're not a grifter, you still had a numerical rating in it on your sheet. Mm -hmm. So if we asked you to do something, uh, so it, it felt empowering to the players because it said right on your sheet, you can grift. But on the other hand, it would be like, hey, if we approach, if we're, when we're divvying up the roles in the next caper, let's put the hitter on the role of hitting people and the guy with the highest grifter stat, you know, on, on the job. And, and that was a, a, like an amazing idea that I've only seen in the game Leverage. I've never seen it since. I think I have seen it in Cyberpunk. They do have classes that have an ability, which is their key ability, and you can get better at it. But it doesn't cover everything, and there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. But it is a similar concept. It is at least in two places now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of the goals with uh, with um, the Iron Claw game that we wound up making was uh, that uh, we basically had your class as another stack. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it was a like I kept looking at D and D, and I was thinking like you literally could have just made like fighter like a, a stat in the game, just said this is fighter. Uh, I get one point per level, and so I get plus five doing anything fighter related. But I mean, like how I would redesign D and D is in today's talk. <laughs> um, uh, I think one of the more speaking of the hybrids. Um, all right, so as person made point based games, as I repeated, the big problem you have is that people approach things and they don't know what to do. They get a huge wad. You would get people who would make inappropriate characters. Like they were just building characters that weren't part of the setting. It was just got wads of points that they found interesting. 
Like at least when you're right. playing D D, they tell you some idea what position a warlock or a cleric or a fighter has in the grand scheme of things. But in a point-based game, if someone showed up, I mean, like I said, it's the paradox. If I show up as a fighter, no one says, oh, all you can do is fight? Go right ahead. But if you show up in a point-based game, all I know I do is fight, people look at you funny. Uh, but you also have this problem show up a little bit, and I saw it a lot in 3.5, where, you know, because of the large amount of slat books out there, people would create these assembly of monstrosities, that, things that are builds that don't really serve a, an individual role anywhere and are impossible to explain, but will do something inexplicable and you can't really predict it, especially not as another player. Oh, I blame the play. Uh, I blame players for being big whiny babies about that because uh, sure. D and D third edition also introduced the prestige class, mm-hmm. which had huge problems with it. The idea behind the prestige class was anything that was weird, like you know, guild thief or acrobat or something like that. You couldn't just take that as an add-on class and use that in the splat book. There had to be at least some in-campaign reason why you did this. Like, in order to be a guild thief, you have to meet other other thieves. In order to be an acrobat, you have to somehow defeat a challenge using acrobatics. Something like that. And mm-hmm. two things and happen. Neat. Well, that, that's how but. it worked in theory. In practice, they kept forgetting to do that. Yes. Uh, uh, or they would just, you know, they would just have classes that just had walk-in uh, achievements. Like, to be an assassin, you would have to go kill somebody who was high profile. But to be the stupid dragon-blooded sorcerer, Oh god, D in his possession with dragon blood and eugenics. Yeah. Um you just had to buy eight ranks in Arcana. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, you just had uh, you just had to, oh the cast showing up in the mic. Yay. Um <laughs> yeah, it's um that that's I'm playing the part of Red Rabbit today, my stupid. Um it's um yeah, it, it's uh, uh they they forgot and that's one of those things that drives me nuts as a game master. It was a good idea, you know, have people have in campaign reasons for becoming weird and strange and powerful, and then crappily implemented now we're back to D five where the only you know you get to be a cool primal shapeshifter or whatever because you want to splat them mm-hmm. and i'm gonna bring so, back my kind of uber example and hobgoblin at the same time which is D fourth edition that nobody wants to recognize that actually exists to some people but it did and it's dnd by the way one of the things about dnd that they clearly explained to you because they were very much focused on you know dungeon dragons about kicking doors and taking their taking stuff and killing monsters on the way they say, well, this guy is a controller. This person is this. And it was focused on the classes, not merely what the individual player wants to do, but as a team effort, right? Because that's another thing about basic role playing, getting a group of people together, right? And if you yeah. go like, okay, essentially everybody has points, everybody does whatever, the tendency could be for people to go like, like splayed out. It's like, oh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go over there. And nobody kind of meets in the middle. The The problem of, no, there's no, there's no cleric, right? There's no healing. Right? There's no healing that can heal. Or, or but, even one person's good, but the other people aren't good at a thing. Yeah. So, or but with classes, the theory is that everybody gets their slice of the pie, and so we have our dedicated hitter, we got a dedicated healer, we got a dedicated explorer, we got a dedicated brain, you know, big brain person that knows all the esoteric mm-hmm. stuff. It's and has a esoteric magic. Etc. Etc. That's the theory. The reality, especially when we talk about splat books, is that ironically, once you start adding, or even before that, but mm-hmm. clearly, when you scratch all those precise classes and skills and all that, you have that splayed out. It's like I'm thinking about becoming a uber undead dragon at level five, a fifteen. You know, there's a mortal and can spit rainbows. <laughs> I don't care about you know the, the the cleric who wants to become the you know messenger of God later on. We have completely different goals. We just have to be in the same party because we're four or five people sitting around this table and we're playing together. Oh, yeah. That, that's, a, yeah. that's a huge discussion that uh, when I meet people who like wax nostalgic, as I said, old school, you picked a class and you were done. Whatever happened, if you get the deck of many things, hooray. But on the other, if you just die horribly because you walk through a doorway, uh, then, you, then, then you're dead. You don't get to choose how you level up. With modern right. games, they tease you by saying, okay, here you are at level one. And here's a listing of all the cool stuff that's coming to get to level 20. And that's just in the basic book in D&D. You know, if you get a splat book, there's even more choices. Mm-hmm. And so players are like, you know, I would have players show up and say, I want to throw fireballs. And I would have to say, you can't throw fireballs. You have to play this game for 25 hours before you'll be allowed to throw fireballs. Hmm. You know, because that's at level five. And getting to level five takes 25 hours. And so you'll get players who are just sitting there on their hands because they're not doing what they want to do. 
or you, as I'm fond of saying, you won't get players at all. They will have left and gone and play a video game that let them throw freaking fireballs. So, um, uh, yeah, that's a new, and people look at that as a problem, but I don't agree that that's a problem. I don't think it's right to, if you're going to have levels in your game and tell people you're not allowed to start with this, but it, it, it's not fair to say D&D is a game that's full of awesome stuff. Look at these lightning bolts and fireballs and then get mad at players for sitting there saying they want to throw lightning balls, lightning bolts and fireballs. And that's all they care about. Like, like you can't do that. You shouldn't. Right. If you're not playing the fun part of your game, why aren't you playing the fun part of your game? And, and, and if the fun part is getting to that part, you can't get mad at players. But, but there is one thing I wanted to address, which was the huge okay. problem that we're running into in both the class based and the point based game. Uh, you know, like the it was the idea of game balance. Like I think the issue everyone was saying is how do we make characters believable and able to respond to a number of threats in the game world? And the huge failing that you're seeing in many of these games is you've got D&D's problem with the class-based paradigm where they have deliberately screwed some characters over. It's like if you wanted to play a fighter who can do diplomacy, screw you. If you picked fighter, that's, you know, to make them balance, we have removed all of their other abilities. You'll either have to break the rules or cheat you know, or use some variant hybrid rule, or you don't get to do all of this. And then over there, you have the point-based games, which give you, say, okay, we gave you all of these points, and then many of the players just specialize anyway and then get killed in the game because they didn't spend any of their points on first aid or, you know, survival or any of the diplomacy. And then you get GMs who are mad at the players, hey, you had points, you could spend them on anything. And the players reply, yes, we could spend them on anything. We spent them on killing stuff and stuff we thought was cool. Yeah. And so uh, I think in order to fix this, you really have to have uh, the um, the solution to this is that you have to your game might just have to decide what the baseline is that all players can do. If you were playing an old school game with Gary Gygax, he would just decide that hookers lie to you thirty five percent of the time, uh, or, or something like that. And everybody, you know, everyone's only surprised on like a three and six. Those were just like or things that were just this is what skilled adventurers do. And if you wound up saying, well, here's a locked door, if there were if you were playing a game that didn't have any lock picking rules, they would come with some with some way to fail forward for you to get through that. But because the game has a specialized ability that requires it, and the game told you you weren't allowed to take it, it's an obstacle. So I think what we uh really I think to address a lot of this, we need to start having games that um that give uh if you want to have oh go ahead. Yeah, so I want to throw this idea. Maybe part of the problem might be a matter of scope, because we're talking about some of the biggest, you know, players out there, Pathfinder, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the biggest games who want to have the biggest audiences. But you did mention Mask, which is can be considered to be like uh, this is wrong, probably better terminology, a smaller but more focused game. So many of these problems are there because the design wants to be as much as possible for as many people as possible, whether point based or class based. Right. And it's also mm-hmm. if it's class based and he wants to have points options and splat books and more options. And if it's uh you know point based, he still wants to have archetypes so that people can easily go into the game, but they want to be as much as much of everything as much as people. And maybe sometimes what you want to play is a more focused, more narrow game, which is which either uses a class base or, or skill points in a way more skillfully and more more integrated. So people oh, yeah, when, well, they, when they when they come into the game, they know okay, this is a game about this. So I, I can't feel cheated if I want to be an uber wizard because this game doesn't tell me that they're uber wizards. Oh, yeah. They might be wizards, but not uber wizards. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, well, and also if you spend your points on it, you want it to pay off. I mean, I love that in games where it's like, while well, you were out, you know, partying with your dungeoneer in survival, I studied the blade. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I heard the phrase uh, called T-shaped characters, which are characters who are omnicapable. They can do almost anything but they're really good at one thing. And I, I did want to point out before we're finished here that one of the best paradigms I've seen is one I call the playbook paradigm, which you see in games like Blades in the Dark and uh, Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, where they give everybody ability to do anything. Like your base, everyone gets basic skills, like a Steakian game where you have like, you know, fighting and talking and, and reacting and enduring. Everyone has ratings in those abilities. And then you have a playbook that lets you pick a bunch of upgrades to that. So everybody can do everything and you're upgrading yourself as time goes on. And they also right. have one of the best compromises that I've seen, which is they often have the abil- the better ones, the ability to poach abilities from other classes. They'll say, we'll let you take 10 upgrades and 
there's an 11th upgrade option of pick one ability from another class. Because we didn't talk about stepping on other people's toes too much, which can happen a lot in these games. Like when yeah. one person builds a better wizard than you. I mean, it can happen in class-based and point-based games. And yeah. so I thought that was a really, that's really nice because that funnels the class-based because everyone gets a playbook that says what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, everyone is, it's still point-based because you get to pick your upgrades, even upgrades from other paths. And that's a good hybrid paradigm. And I think that's what makes things like Forge in the Dark or Power by the Apocalypse games very successful. Yeah, I think we should put a pin on that one because I think stepping yeah. uh, on other places would be more like what I call the, the overall concept of the ongoing conversation, which we kind of touched a little bit here and there over the past, past year, but not really gone into it. So I would suggest, as a member of the panel, to put a pin on that one, and we can revisit it in the new year. Yeah, and for right now, let's go ahead and like do some closing comments on classes, points, and other things that we may have observed. Uh, lessons, you got anything you wanted to go ahead and wrap up with? I think I'm going to reiterate my point. I think uh, a good way to approach this is have very clarity of design, and in many cases, try to be, especially if you're like me, who's somebody who's you know going headfirst into design early on, or you're trying to learn about design, be narrow, be specific, right? Don't overpromise, don't overthink. If you think point bias is the way to go, then you have to realize what the weaknesses are as well as the strength. If you want to go class because you want people to pick up your, your game and play, you know, and up and running as they hit the floor, that's fine. But don't try to be TNT. Don't try to be Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, make sure you're, you keep those hidden rules and you actually uh, tell your players, this is what we're really going to do. If you're on board, cool. Not well, yeah, that's a risk you're going to take. All right, Rafferty, what do you got for a closing comment? Um, I will say the players always, like, most players show up at the game because they want to express themselves. That they want to, uh, you know, play something in the game that is cooler than they have in real life. I need to emphasize that because anytime we go back to old school gaming, that's not what old school gaming was about. Uh, old school gaming was about being assigned something random and then trying to uh, roguelike it and get it up there like Binding of Isaac to whatever level you could. Not saying that wasn't fun. I'm saying that most people today, you know, want something. And so whether you choose, uh, you know, a class-based game or a point-based game, players are always going to want to make choices that matter. Uh, and by matter, I mean that they can express in the game in a way that influences the story and increases their enjoyment of the game. So uh, both approaches have their strengths and weaknesses. You need to know what those are and especially when to break them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think if I got one last closing comment, it's that uh, regardless if I think either way you go, I think uh, ultimately no character is going to be able to do anything, regardless if it's a class or if it's a point-based system. And when you start designing, maybe consider what teamwork looks like in your system and ask, what are the other players doing while the player that is good at it does this thing? And how they can help or how that person can help everyone else along. Uh, and I think that's going to go ahead and be a wrap then. So let me go ahead and scroll up here to my outro. That's all for this episode of Notes from the Aleph. We stream episodes bi-weekly, Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can join us live at twitch.tv slash Ractus, where we record several episodes in a row. We also stream and record weekly tabletop games at the same channel, and you can come join us when those start at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays. Norman Rafferty is a partner and writer here for Sanguine Games. Check out sanguinegames.com and join us on the Reddit and Twitter. And look forward to the upcoming Iron Claw Book of Corals. And of course, go ahead and check out our friend here, Lesson Learned, at LessonLearned1 on Twitch.tv and also on YouTube, where he has a number of series ongoing that you all ought to see. And of course, as always, everyone, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and come see us all again. Until next time. Bye-bye.